tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the geek's watch. For the geeks and all the geeks to come. That's right, we're back for another week of the Geek's Watch, here to shine light on all the geek news as winter is coming. So, John, what are we going to be talking about today? Um, the very hard-to-get-through 1977 Spider-Man movie. <laughs> That's right. The, the was it? It's like an hour and 40 minutes. It's the pilot episode for the amazing spider-man tv show that was on in 1977 to 1979 and yeah very difficult to get through i don't what is it about the 70s like did they not like watching tv i mean this between this and dr strange those movies were super slow i think it was just the cinema style at the time you know you had movies that were more character driven which were you know, a lot of moments of them just kind of doing stuff and not talking <laughs> or getting to locations like almost in real time. Uh, all right. Well, we'll have we'll definitely have a lot to talk about when we get to that segment uh, of the show. Uh, but first, we get to our geek news is what we're, we're here to we're here to do. Um, what do you have for us today? Well, I'm still fangirling out, but uh, one of my favorite characters that's been missing from Game of Thrones for a while, uh, Gendry, who's been sailing on the SS abandoned plotline. <laughs> uh, remind <laughs> me again, who else is on that uh, that boat with him? Actually, I think it's just him now. Oh, is it? Because we've we've yeah. we've gotten other plotlines sewn up. Yeah, we had. Um, it's kind of funny, as a matter of fact. On Reddit, they had a picture of the SS abandoned plotline from last season and it had the brotherhood without banners and a whole bunch like the the phrase and a whole bunch of characters um the 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 blackfish and um the the other one that <laughs> was the lord yeah the, the, it was a full boat <laughs> <laughs> and poor and, poor uh, gendry was sitting there all alone rowing it a bit <laughs> yeah and and now they they re-released it uh more recently uh, for season six, and it was just Gendry again. <laughs> well, you know, maybe the maybe the uh, the uh, showrunners are are redditors, so they saw what was going on. They're like, you know, what? we should tie up some of these loose ends. Yeah, so it looks like he's been spotted arriving uh, on set to start filming, apparently. And um, I'm already of the opinion that it, it, even if he's not there to play Gendry, which as you know, I have a fan theory that he's going to meet up with Sam. Um, if he doesn't at least, you know, have a little reunion with Ario, I'm kind of hoping they use him in a flashback where he plays a young Robert Baratheon. 
Right, because of uh, what what Ned Stark said when he first saw him, right? Yeah, he was like the spitting image of young Robert Baratheon, so much so that he was kind of stunned. He was like, whoa, like, yeah, you are definitely his kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Yeah, that, that would be interesting, especially since last season we saw uh, in Bran's uh, flashbacks or visions or whatever you want to say, you know, we saw young Ned Stark uh, at the Tower of Hope. So close, Joy. <laughs> Joy. At least I didn't say justice this time. <laughs> Babble. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we could definitely see a young uh, Robert Baratheon in, in a flashback vision. So that would be pretty cool. Yes, yes, it would. And uh, we could finally see one thing I've been hoping for since the, the show started is uh, you know the Warhammer being my favorite medieval and fantasy weapon. Um, mainly because I could never wield one with my <laughs> scrawny physique. Uh, I would love to see Robert finally using it. Yeah, that would that would be pretty cool. You could see some some pretty brutal deaths, which kind of takes us into our next story. If uh, you're okay with me segueing, yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, as we posted on the, the Geekly Radio Facebook page, there was uh, an, a recent interview with Daniel Radcliffe that said. He said that he would love because he's in between projects right now, I guess, and you know he's not doing Harry Potter, so it's not taking up a lot of his life. But he would love to to be a brutal death in Game of Thrones, which you know was very specific. What he said, he didn't say he wanted to be a character of any type. He just wanted to be a brutal death, and uh, it would go along with a lot of the stunt casting they do in that show. Like with the yeah, chain. which I really like. Yeah, they get somebody who's relatively big name, and they usually don't make it past a season. They're lucky to make it past an episode. <laughs> Did I also see something about Angela Lansbury is going to be on the show, or she already was? Um, you know, you, that sounds familiar. I do remember hearing something about Angela Lansbury. Um, I thought it was a joke at first, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not sure if uh, if that turns out to be true or not um which i have to admit i'm kind of ashamed i i had assumed that she was already dead like just because you know she's (laughs) she's a little older but i i know recently they just they just showed there was a video clip of her uh singing this the song that she sang in beauty of the beast so i mean she's still up kicking and and being as youthful as she can so that's pretty awesome um yeah she's 90 years old (laughs) The there so what what we were saying like uh, you even commented on the Facebook page about you'd love to see uh, him being killed by a young Robert Baratheon with the the Warhammer if if possible and I think that'd be a pretty cool scene. Uh, some other listeners and and part of our community over there said uh, Matt Roberts says he'd love for Arya to get a chance to kill him, and I think that'd be pretty cool. You know, seeing with going along with their storyline of being this new young kick ass assassin kind of character. Yeah, and uh, like we were saying, if if uh, if, it, if a gruesome death is what he wants, there's definitely plenty of characters that could oblige him. Which brings us to our next listener, uh, Ramon Garcia, also known as Curly. He uh, he said the two characters he'd like to see would be the Mountain and Tyrion Lannister. So uh, two different ends of the spectrum there, but uh, a gruesome death could definitely be had by the Mountain, or as he's now known as Sir. 
Professor uh, Robert Strong. That's right, Strong. <laughs> so uh, after we saw what he did to, or we didn't actually see, we kind of infer what he did to that nun. <laughs> uh, and we know exactly what he did to well, the to I'm, the Red I'm Viper. Right. I'm hoping it's something delightfully painful. Now, here's a twist. I want to bring up my favorite uh, taco shell commercial and imply why not both, Tyrion and the Mounted. You have to say it in in Spanish, though. (laughs) Oh, man. How does that go? Por que los todos or something like that. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, por que no los dos? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, like, the mountain can go high and Tyrion can go low, and it could be just, like, a real cool, like, triple section, you know, of just, uh, you know, Tyrion be the ankle biter, and while the mountain crushes in the skull, they each stick to their strengths. You know what, uh, I don't know if you played this game uh, back in the day when it was around, but uh, Chrono Trigger, did you play that? Oh no, I wasn't into JRPGs, Zachman. No, okay. Well, you know, the, the what that was like. It's kind of like it, it was a game like like Final Fantasy, but you could do team up moves where you know you're, the three characters you're playing as, uh, either two of them would team up and do a special move, or all three of them would. So that's what I I kind of picture like the mountain picking up Tyrion and like doing a fastball special or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah, so yeah, and Tyrion, uh, you know, though not uh unfamiliar with battle, I think he would probably try and like drink Daniel Radcliffe under the on the table to death or something first before anything else. <laughs> yeah, he would use his guile. <laughs> so uh, that 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 would be interesting if if Radcliffe actually did show up on the show, and uh, you know, more power to him if he does. Um. Switching over to another fandom that I believe is is probably just as big because it's been around forever uh, is Doctor Who. Doctor Who has a spinoff show that's going to be premiering on BBC Three in October twenty second, and uh, I don't know. It does. The article doesn't say if it's going to also premiere on BBC America, so I don't know if Americans will get to see it uh, when it premieres or if they'll have to wait like they do with most British shows, but. Um, it's called the it's called class. I keep wanting to say the class, but it's just called class, and it's going to be based out of the school that uh, Jenna Jenna Coleman's character uh, t- taught at when she was the companion, and uh, Peter Capaldi is supposed to show up in the premiere episode, and from the sounds of it, it it's it, it's going to be involving a lot of the teenagers in the the high school and. And I guess the doctor's going to come down and give these five teenagers, like, the charge of having to protect the Earth, and uh, along with their teacher, maybe. And uh, it, it's it's the, the show creator or the show runner is also a YA uh, author, so I'm suspecting the show is going to be very much, you know, Dawson Creaky kind of teenage angst and stuff. Uh, as in the, so it's a spinoff show as in the same vein as Sarah Jane adventures and Torchwood. I think this is going to fall somewhere in the middle scene as how Sarah Jane adventures is very much more family friendly and, and kid oriented. And Torchwood is very much more adult oriented with its, uh, overt sex and, and violence. So 
this will be somewhere in the middle and and appeal to a certain demographic, I believe. Yeah, which I kind of read as I'm not going to probably be interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to be too interested in either. Um, it does sound like it's not aimed towards us, us being a little bit more adult and and not interested in Dawson's Creek anymore. <laughs> yeah, plus I've kind of fallen out of interest in the um, Doctor Who mythos now. I think I've officially given up on it since I haven't even really bothered keeping up with it. Yeah, you know, I, I have to say I love the production value and the stories are still pretty good, but it's just, it, it's it's a little bit harder to get through now than what it was. I don't know if it's Peter Capaldi because he's a great actor or what, but it's just it, it's just I don't know some some type of magic's not there now. Uh, uh, what's his name? The the showrunner now uh, Moffat Stephen Moffat is going to be leaving as the showrunner, and they're going to be bringing in a new showrunner. But supposedly Peter Capaldi's still going to be staying the Doctor after Moffat leaves. So. Uh, I, I I wonder how that's going to play out, if the show's going to change any, or if it's going to be any different. And uh, if they ever change Doctors again, like before the show decides it doesn't want to go on, would you jump back to checking out the show? Yeah, I'd give it a shot. I'm always interested to see the new Doctor, um, you know, give it a good, fair chance. Uh, I did that with Matt Smith, and I suffered through that whole thing out of i don't know a feeling of well i started it i might as well finish it <laughs> and like you were saying with capaldi he just didn't really connect with me it just yeah i think you're right it just he doesn't i, I don't know to me he just didn't connect either yeah the, i'm still a big supporter of the idea that uh the ninth and tenth doctor were like a really just like a perfect arc and it could pretty much just end there narratively speaking uh, well, Which it kind of did. <laughs> yeah, with the the end of the end of time with David Tennant, that was I think that was a pretty good end. Yeah, and actually, to its detriment, uh, the end of time was so awesome and fantastic that I think it kind of ruined the rest of the series for me because I was like, they could never top this now. <laughs> well, you know, the one thing I think about, and I, I know we're we're getting off tangent because, but I think the one thing about Stephen Moffat, a lot of his ep- episodes. Uh, is more about the scare. Like he, he really wants to freak people out, and and those those are some of the great episodes that you had with Tenet and, and Nine, uh, Eccleston. There was other things happening in the in the series. You know, it wasn't always just trying to. It was. It, I think it was more about the wonder of, of everything instead of just the scare. Oh yeah, definitely. That uh, are you my mommy thing is gonna be permanently burned in the back of my mind somewhere right exactly <laughs> uh, okay and then what was uh, your next story uh well the uh the red skull hugo weaving is rumored to be possibly making a return during the infinity wars which was interesting because it just came to light i did not realize this that uh, he apparently uh, did not enjoy his time filming the first Avenger, uh, but has now been backpedaling, saying, uh, "No, it wasn't so bad. Actually, it was just the mask. It wasn't comfortable or something." And um, to which I was thinking, you know, his accent—it wasn't really quite that good. So 
I didn't really miss him, but for continuity purposes, I felt like the Red Skull is one of those villains that deserves, um, you know, another crack at uh, villainy, I guess. You know, it's not one that you should just write off like they do in uh, the 1990 movie that we saw where he just kind of falls off a cliff as a dummy. Right. Yeah, no, I I think it's very interesting that he would say that he'd like to come back since he's been vocal about not liking the experience. But he's also said that about a lot of other movies, but he's done, what are we talking about, three different Transformers sequels now? Um, I think... It, it, I think I really think, and I heard this from someone else, uh, another podcast this this past week. But uh, it would it would have been, I think, would have been great. Would be that if the Red Skull had come back for uh, the second Avengers movie, I think he would have made the better villain. Because I think when they went to Ultron, that was you jumped way too far ahead. Because to, to me, Ultron is, is is a super powerful enemy in the in the Marvel universe. So he should have been you know, right up there with Thanos. Like, I don't know. It seems like they're kind of going lateral with the whole Thanos character. Uh, if you can beat Ultron, why can't you beat Thanos? So it, if he comes back, which I definitely think he can, because in the first Avenger, he kind of just disappears in that blue light, which is, you know, the cosmic cube caused. So if anything, he might actually be inside the vision's head right now. Like with the cosmic cube is what gave him or no, the vision got his power from the from the scepter, the didn't? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know where the the cube is. Is that in Thor's or Odin's vault? Yes. Uh, the cosmic cube should be in Asgard. The uh, the the power gem should be in the hands of the um the Nova Corps. Call it? Yes, and uh, the what do they call the red one? They called that one the. Uh, was that the reality gem? I believe so. They Those... they, they called it uh, the ether. Oh, the ether. Right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that one should be in the hands of the collector, unless he lost it during the Guardians, which they didn't really show it. So as far as I know, he still has it. That's true. They didn't really show that. So yeah, maybe maybe. Um, yeah. And we only have two left. We have the time gem, I believe. Yes, time gem and soul gem. Soul gem. Okay, so I, I gotta, I gotta, and and James Gunn has said that there's not going to be another another infinity gem in volume two, Guardians of the Galaxy volume two. So I gotta believe one's going to show up in Doctor Strange, and then probably the last one will show up in Infinity War. Yeah, probably. That's uh, now Captain Marvel comes out after Infinity War. Yes. Okay, I was gonna say it should be the illogical one for the next one. But... I also, I think, I think Black Panther also comes out after Infinity War. Hmm. So, in the aftermath. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that should be interesting. I, you know, I'd love to see Hugo even come back as the Red Skull. I mean, I'd love to just see the Red Skull come back. Uh, and yeah, you're right. The the accent, you know, <laughs> kind of went off at, at points, but. Uh, you know, that's American audiences. We don't really understand <laughs> European accents. It's just like British accents is good enough for all of Europe. <laughs> if British accents represent all villainy. Yeah. I mean, look at 300, you know. You got, you got oh, uh, yeah. Leonidas talking with his Scottish accent because Gerard Butler's from Scotland. Like, no attempt to even hide it. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, and then uh, my last uh, article or new piece of geek news would be uh, uh, the Dark Tower series, which I know we've talked about in the past. We both have not read the Dark Dark Towers book series, but they are making a movie with Idris Elba playing the lead character of Roland and Matthew McConaughey playing the antagonist, uh, the Man in Black, and I guess. For a while, they were, they were also talking about making a TV show about it. And Akiva Goldsman, who's the producer, says that the TV show could still be uh, happening. And more than likely, it would be based off the fourth book, which is a very much a prequel to the whole series, where you kind of tell the origins of Roland. And if they, do, if they go ahead with it, it sounds like... Uh, Idris Elba will still play the the character of Roland, but it will be a lot of him remembering his younger self, and which would then be played by a younger, a different younger actor, as well as McConaughey uh, coming back as the man, or yeah, the man in black. And uh, it's it says here that you would see him, but he would also he more than likely would have a different face. So I don't know if that means that he is a worshiper of the many-faced god, <laughs> but uh, he would definitely have a different face. <laughs> Which I could see that working for that, you know, if somebody's too big of a Hollywood star, and it's like, well, no, it's part of his character. He can actually be different people and, you know, save the the big star power for the movie, and it's technically the same character, but played by someone else in the the show that works for me. That's a very Doctor Who thing to do. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it, and, and you know what? TV is, it seems to be a place where a lot of big movie actors are going to. And Idris Elba, you know, still does Luther, which you know he's some he's quite the big movie star now. So it's interesting that he still does his TV show. So and McConaughey, you know, did True, True Detective not a couple summers ago. So. Uh, but then that's HBO. I don't know if you still consider that TV. It's part of their slogan. It's not TV. It's HBO. <laughs> that's right. But it plays on TV, so whatever, HBO. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I, did you have one more story? Uh, did I? Let's see. What else were we talking about? No, I think that was it. That, that was it. All right. Then yeah. uh, if we have nothing else, we can go ahead and get in into our t- our our uh movie movie of the week the MCU that could have been the next installment we're talking about the amazing Spider-Man from 1977 what did you think of this movie Mitch? <laughs> <laughs> um like okay you know what like i said earlier i thought it was incredibly slow and uh it really drags out however you know it, it it definitely feels like a direct adaptation of a comic book. Like, the way the whole thing flows, though it drags, it still flows like you're you're reading comic book panels. At least to me it did. Like, it, and it all kind of, it kind of encompasses that, the comic book feel. Like, I mean, it, it definitely doesn't feel like a movie. It, and, and, and whether, it, you know, this more than likely wasn't supposed to, I mean, it's not supposed to be a movie. It's just like, just like uh, Generation X that we've already covered and Doctor Strange. This was supposed to be, or this was the pilot episode for a TV series. And from what it says uh, on IMDb trivia, if you can take that as a as as gospel, 
the the TV show was actually quite successful. The only reason why it ended up getting canceled in 1979 is because uh, of political reasons, I guess. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't, I don't oh, think, wow. I don't think it means like, like, like uh, U.S. politics, but more like uh, behind the scenes studio politics. Right. Probably negotiations or something. Right. Given Marvel's history, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what I mean, what did you feel overall about this? Um, my overall impression was, you're right. It's um, it's the most comic booky, or comic book accurate, I guess, of the the, the Marvel universe that could have been. But I think due to the limitations of the technology at the time and the budget, I'm sure. Um, even when he's Spider-Man, there's just no energy, no dynamic <laughs> movement. I mean, his fighting is super lame. Yes. Um, the the wall crawling is so slow, he might as well just be taking the elevator. <laughs> and um, I think they reused the same web swinging shot like two different times because <laughs> that's all they could do or set up for. Yeah, you know what? The, I want to talk about the web, the web swinging. Obviously, this is—I'm guessing the '70s, and uh, they couldn't get. It's the '70s, and it's a TV show, so they didn't spend a lot of money on special effects. So there's a running storyline throughout the whole movie where he's doesn't have the forty-six dollars he needs to pay to get a delivery of condensers that he had ordered somehow and apparently it was it was a cod which you know no one does anymore because <laughs> no one gets cash on or does cash on delivery but he doesn't have the 46 dollars, so he can't get these condensers finally i'm gonna say probably in the last uh 20 minutes of the of the of the movie he or maybe it's like 30 minutes of the movie he gets he gets the $46, he goes to the warehouse where the package is being held, he gets the condensers, and then he uses the condensers to make his web shooters. Like, the whole story, like, he ordered these condensers for a reason, and it was before he got bit by the spider, so why isn't he using it for the experiment that he was doing at the beginning of the movie? I mean, that's just what, I don't know why it just stuck to me, but it did. Like, it was, it just kept playing in my head that way. Yeah, the, the the unfortunate side effect of this being one of the first comic book adaptations, I think, is that they didn't really care too much about the specifics of the story. Um, I mean, like, if we're going to start jumping a little bit into it, um, this is an origin story. Right. However, the origin is definitely very different because <laughs> uh, there's no Uncle Ben to be seen anywhere. Nowhere. If he's died, he's already been dead for a while. Um, there's no real justification for him becoming a superhero other than he was at the right place at the right time and he thinks it would help him with his newspaper career. <laughs> yep. And he's also um, like he's a, a like a grad student instead of being a high school student. Yeah, he's already working at the Bugle as a freelancer and he's working in college. Um, what I would assume is like some kind of advanced degree system because he's doing some like crazy work with radiation <laughs> and like a lab and not only that but his his room in aunt may's house is like 
electronic equipment everywhere. Like he's got <laughs> spectrometers and I think a fax machine. Which for someone to have that in their home in the late 70s was kind of like, yeah, you're not the same down on his luck, poor Peter Parker. <laughs> which actually, I wanted to bring that up too. I noticed, and I hadn't until I watched this movie, with every iteration of Peter Parker, he's been getting poorer and his house has been getting smaller. <laughs> so in Civil War, he no longer has a house. He's just uh, he's got an apartment that he shares with his aunt yeah. May. It's like it's like they're living in the projects or something, and it does. <laughs> Captain America Civil War. But yeah, that this 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 first house we ever see him in, it looks like the house from Charmed. Yes, it you actually does. You know what? I when I when I was looking at that house, I was like, why does that look so familiar? You're right. It does look like the house from Charmed. Yeah, and it's like there's no neighbors. Like it looks like it's its own plot of land. <laughs> well, yeah, that was another thing. He, he's he's in the in broad daylight, he's sitting there just crawling around the outside of this house. Uh, you know, upside down on the walls, you know, all that stuff, and no neighbors see it. Nobody's on the street just sees him hanging from the outside of the house or anything like that. Yeah, and uh, Aunt May. That's another thing I was going to bring up. I think Aunt May's been getting younger and younger. Uh, well, that's definitely <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, so like this, this one, she's like an elderly woman. Um. Pretty spry, but doesn't really have a lot to do in the story, except make Peter some meals. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, you know, he becomes Spider-Man because he basically gets uh, bitten by a, a glowing spider that got into his work in the college. And uh, <laughs> they never really show what becomes of the spider, so they, in the, the way it was filmed, it kind of leaves it open, like maybe the spider goes on and bites other people and that's how you're going to have villains of the week you know yeah that's true uh i also wanted to call into uh uh account the his his buddy in the lab the one that's kind of also doing the they're the one that's operating the robotic arm or whatever it is that they're doing uh you notice he's wearing what he's wearing his t-shirt it's like a blue t-shirt with a, a white star right in the middle is that supposed to be a call out to captain america or Quasar, maybe? I don't know. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously, they, it's in the, the Marvel U, uh, so they wanted to do that. Uh, there's also a scene where they're going into a lab, and it says Dr. Banner on the door. So uh, I missed that one. It implies that, you know, Bruce Banner also works at this college. Well, I mean, they were definitely sowing the seeds even way back then about a, a connected universe. And um, kind of tangential to this, but uh, the fact that Doctor Strange was also um, filmed around the same time as this, they could have definitely had a crossover. And we're jumping a little bit ahead here. But the main plot of the story is um, there's like a mind control <laughs> <laughs> uh, plot device where like there's a cult and there's a lot of affluent citizens of New York like doctors and lawyers that all of a sudden they hear a, a strange frequency and uh, they become Manchurian candidates almost you know they they you know leave whatever they're doing you know a doctor leaves in the middle of an exam and the lawyer leaves in the middle of a trial and they both get together and rob a bank right and um, 
I thought this 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 looked really familiar for some reason. And then uh, when I realized uh, I made a, like the Doctor Strange connection, it's very similar to the plot of the Spider-Man animated series from the 90s where Doctor Strange has a cameo. Oh. Where you, yeah, you have a you have a, a, a cult that brainwashes its um, followers into basically being like thieves or bank robbers. Um, except in the cartoon, Mary Jane is one of the the cult followers, and they're also giving superpowers where they can like fly and shoot lasers out of their eyes. But <laughs> nevertheless, I, I I made that connection and I was like, hey, wait a minute, this sounds a lot like that one story, which I'm pretty sure at this point is a tried and true comic book staple. Is uh, <laughs> the cult leader that actually brainwashes you to steal for him? <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I mean, that does sound like very much a comic book staple or trope for storyline but you know that that tv show the the animated tv show was very faithful to its source material so i wonder if they were doing that episode as a homage to this show or if both shows were adapting a storyline that was in one of the old spider-man issues which i wouldn't know because i didn't start reading spider-man until the late 90s (laughs) i I would i would venture to guess it's probably more the latter they okay. probably took some of the source material and adapted it. Which uh, also, so we usually talk about some of the casting, and, and I think for the most part, uh, especially this Nick, Nicholas Hammond guy who plays Peter Parker Spider-Man, I've never seen him in anything before other than this. Uh, not very familiar to me. None of the other actors are, except for the young lady who plays the daughter of the professor that got hypnotized. She was also in Beverly Hills Cop. She was Eddie Murphy's friend that uh, lives in Beverly Hills and works for the bad guy. One of the mm-hmm. one of the thugs that works for the guy who's brainwashing people is Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, he's the only one I recognized. I was like, why does this guy look familiar? And then uh, I was like, oh. And then the best part of the whole movie for me is the times when Spider-Man has to fight the samurai guards that he ha- that the brainwashing cult guy has on staff uh one of them is definitely like a guy that you see in just about every uh movie that has to have any kind of like like faceless nameless martial arts guy uh he was in like big trouble little china if you look through his imdb it's like a bunch of uh asian man or you know, ninja <laughs> fighter or, you know, and then the fact that they're using like these Bushido, uh, kendo sticks to fight him off. Like they're not even using real swords. They're using the practice swords that you use to teach people how to fight with swords kind of thing. Yeah. That's, I was going to say samurai is really stretching it. I would say they're more like weekend kendo instructors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that, that, those are like the, the few people that I actually recognize. I think Captain Barbera, or no, not Captain Barbera, but, uh, uh, the guy, the actor who plays J. Jonah Jameson, he's familiar too. And I know he's been in some other things, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Uh, J. Jonah, um, which side note to that character, I feel like the police chief, was closer to Jay Jonah than the guy they got to play Jay Jonah. You're right. That's very true, especially the way that he kept 
like making fun of Peter Parker <laughs> and chomping on a cigar. And yeah. chomping on a cigar. Yeah. I, so it seems like they kind of split the two characters up. Yeah, you need an antagonist, I suppose. Um, so yeah, well, this this one was so hard to watch, though. I think it took me three sittings to get all the way through it, just because of how slow it was. <laughs> Very, very much so. It reminded me a lot of Doctor Strange. Like it was, it's, it's so much set up. Like literally three quarters of the movie is just setting it up. Like the way I, I guess the way that you kind of do an origin movie now with superhero characters is like there's got a, there's a lot of action beats throughout the whole the whole movie, especially in the beginning. But between this and Doctor Strange, it's it's a lot of talking and 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 I, I guess it's supposed to be character development but it's to me it's just like expository dialogue it's just not nothing is happening except for trying to tell you what's happening like it's the the characters just repeating what we've already saw now what did you think of the the spider-man casual theme music that plays throughout the whole thing okay i definitely wanted to talk about the the, the music that plays it because i mean it's obviously like just this side of porn music right <laughs> right almost yeah on the precipice I would say. <laughs> like the first time it, it starts playing you just hear i'm like what are we watching now did it just change <laughs> is someone about to get naked <laughs> Because this would make it a little <laughs> bit more interesting, but yeah, it's it's very much so like uh, synthesized fucking uh, you know music that's just it's always related to porn music. Like it's the only way that you you ever recognize it, or especially porn music from the seventies. <laughs> I, I want to say yeah, there was something that happened in the seventies, like culturally speaking, where it became this was just music this was it. everything sounded like this back then <laughs> everywhere you went now and that could just be because it's it's cheap and easy to make that kind of music as a guitar player myself if you have a wah-wah pedal you don't even have to be pressing the strings down to do that you literally just kind of mute it and it's like strum it to like whatever rhythm you come up with and it comes <laughs> out like that it basically is like auto-tune for a guitar <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know that. So yeah, that's uh, it, it makes sense. That I mean, the, obviously the budget wasn't too great on this, and budgets on porn are definitely not going to be too big. So you can get whatever you can for cheap. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised if like the same person that's uh, you know, like running the camera is also like the music editor or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that would, that's, that's pretty exciting. I, I mean, I, I knew, and, and it's not like just the once that it shows up. It definitely shows up repeatedly throughout the, the movie. And it's, just... it's the theme. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, the wall crawling. And there's obviously, there's like very, <laughs> there's like three different styles of how they did the wall crawling in this, uh, this movie. So there's the practical effect one where you can tell that he's hanging from some type of wire and uh, being uh, lifted or even being held. Like there's the part when he's fighting the three Bushido guards and you can see, you can almost, I mean, you can literally see in the ceiling 
the gap that opens up that's that has the the harness that's that that's holding him so he can look like he's walking across the ceiling or crawling across the ceiling. Uh, then there's obviously a uh, green screen effect where like when he's walking or he's crawling down the side of the building from the, the skyscraper, you can tell he's l- like just walking on a green screen floor and he constantly is looking around. Like he's looking through his legs back at the camera and I'm like, why, why, why is he? It's just awkward poses. It's just so weird looking. <laughs> I've, in my head, I was thinking, "Oh, he's probably like that's this is the money shot right here." <laughs> It'd be like making sure the camera. Do you have my butt? You better have my butt because that's the good shot right there. That's, got got the angle there, yeah. <laughs> and then the third third one is the very much the the Batman sixty six. Like we're gonna turn the camera on the side, and we have it looks like they're walking up the side of the building, but literally they're walking on the floor, and someone is supposed to stick their head out the window and be like, "What are you doing out here?" Kind of thing. Like you could tell that was some of the shots too. I was like, "Sammy Davis Jr." <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you you also forgetting to mention the the point of view shots. <laughs> of him wall crawling or swinging. That's true. They, they did have a lot of that. Which, you know I mean? We still do. We do a lot of point of view shots when they do Cap- er, Captain America. Spider-Man in the, new, in the newer Spider-Man movies. But uh, th- those are all CGI and definitely look better. <laughs> and you can tell that this was a workaround. Whereas like, if we do it from his point of view, all you have to see is his hands in front of him. <laughs> and you don't have to see whatever rig we have behind him to get him up on the side of the building. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, this is the only the, the real downside of the lack of technology and budget at this time period is just how slow it all happens. Um, like I said earlier, you know, like he might as well just take the elevator and <laughs> save him so much time and effort than uh, you know, basically doing the same thing of like you know crawling up the side of the building. And I have to say this too, I'm 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 pretty sure. That the the star was not in the suit for most of those stunts. No. So would it have been really hard to find a gymnast or a stuntman that was more flexible and could actually do like the wall crawler thing <laughs> instead of looking like he's just crawling on the ground on all fours? <laughs> that looks so bad. Right? I mean, like the thing about, you know, in the, the comic book and then in the more recent movies, you know, they try and get it so that his crawling around kind of looks more spider-like. But this is like, the way he does it is more like how a person trying to imitate an elephant walks around on all fours, you know? <laughs> yeah, like his body's not even pressed against the building. He's like as far removed from the building <laughs> as he can while crawling down it. Yeah. Um uh... So, oh, getting back to uh, and a thing that you mentioned earlier about him having all the electronics in his room, he just happens to be having. He just happens to have that like frequency identifier in his room on, and he finds the frequency that's that seems it's it's not supposed to be there, and because of that, he calls the the, the captain and is like, "Hey, I think this is what's happening," and the captain literally takes him serious. Like, why? <laughs> Yeah, he does a better job as a freelance detective than a freelance <laughs> photographer. I mean, 
mean, like, Jay Jonah constantly turns on his pictures. He drops his camera, like, exposing all his film. But he's able to solve the mystery of what's going <laughs> on. I'm like, I think you're in the wrong field, Parker. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Oh, and that brings me to, so the whole, you know, the police work in this show. So, you know, Par- Parker is literally walking all over a uh, a, a crime scene, you know, Puts his hands inside of a, a car, breaks off the, the the steering wheel, and you know, I mean, I don't know, I don't know when forensic science first came into police work, but man, it seems like this this is all kind of just ruining a lot of the police work that should be happening here. Yeah, there's no um, restrictions or any like cordoned off <laughs> sections. He was like, "Yeah, you're a photographer. Okay, go ahead and <laughs> do what you got to do. Come on in." Uh, and then, and then another thing is like when the first the the doctor and the lawyer are the first ones that um, are uh, subject to the the mind control and robbing the bank. Uh, they're like going through the 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 histories of the two people, and they're like, "This guy's a doctor, and this guy's a lawyer." You know, there's no reason why they the two of them would be working together, and they don't have any connections and stuff. Well, they both belong to the same cult church thing you might want to check that out and then you know everybody else that seems to be being affected by this also goes to this this church why don't you check that out yeah and i mean maybe the the giveaway was that pin they were both wearing that the thugs (laughs) were smart enough to remove it's like now nobody will put this together (laughs) yeah so and and talking about the thugs, that's that's the the big. So they rob these, they rob bank rolls, they rob uh, banks, they 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 rob. Uh, uh, what's 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 it called? The the money that you're supposed to give to your employees, the payroll. The payroll. Yeah, they uh they're 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 robbing all these other things, and then the big uh payoff at the end is supposed to be that this that they're supposed to ransom the city, like. They, 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 the, the, the leader of the cult has written a letter in the, in the paper or given it to the paper in the news places, the news uh, networks saying that if you don't pay us, what, 50 million by the end of the week, 10, 10 random people will just kill themselves. Yeah. And I, I like that plot point that, like you were saying, that's very comic booky of them to do. Uh huh. But the first time I heard that, that high pitch whine that happens that triggers their programming. <laughs> the first thing I thought to myself was the naked gun. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, That's like, right. Must kill the queen or something. You know, like, <laughs> I'm surprised that their, their brainwashing didn't include murder or assassination plots. Cause that would have been also pretty useful. Right. Exactly. You know, uh, yeah. And, and, Peter Parker at one point also gets hypnotized, but I'm guessing it's more of his spider sense or his new, you know, recombined DNA that allows him to shrug it off. Actually, no, it was, uh, it was, uh, as he was climbing, I think it was on the empire state building. Like that... his, his programming was to jump off the empire state building. Right. Um, as he's climbing the edge, one of the, uh, bars, you know, that's supposed to keep people from jumping out of there. It gets caught on his pin and oh. knocks it off. Ah. 
Yeah, I was gonna so say. So he's he's already got your one foot on the ledge, and then he was like, "Whoa, what am I doing?" <laughs> and then he puts two and two together. Oh, it's this pin. So like an idiot, he grabs it and takes it with him. <laughs> I was like, "No, that's what's doing the mind control. Smash it or something first. <laughs> yeah, because it it tries to to work on him again later on, right? When when all the ten people were supposed to kill themselves. Yeah, that was yeah, that was one of them. I think it happened earlier too, like where he was uh or maybe that was the same sequence. I can't remember now. Like it <laughs> it just blurred together. It's so awful. <laughs> and then he uses his his webbing to pull down the transmitter tower that's supposed to be sending the signal out. And as he does that, uh apparently uh the computer that's that's putting the signal out then it does it it does some kind of loop, I guess, and then it plays back at the cult leader, which then hypnotizes him and kind of puts him in a uh, a catatonic state because <laughs> that's the way that's supposed to work. <laughs> yeah, if uh, I guess if the signal has nowhere to go, it just bounces back to you. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it left them suggestible. So Peter Parker says, "Ah, well, this is what you're gonna do now." Um, I did want to mention going back to the web shooting. Um, after he creates it, and uh, they use the tried-and-true practical effect of reverse photography for the effect <laughs> yeah. of it shooting out of his hand. Right. So he seems to have two different types of webbing. And uh, like you were saying earlier, I like how they never once acknowledge anything that goes into the making of the web shooters. No. Because he's able to shoot both you know, rope-like webbing he can swing from and basically like netting. <laughs> from from his wrists and when it slowly comes down on those those guys that he fought it was i just laughed so hard it looks so ridiculous it just yeah it's like a little cloud or something because <laughs> i mean you're used to seeing it kind of just like web up a person or making a giant web ball or whatever you want but no it he shoots it into the air like above them like i'm gonna say like five feet above them and it just comes floating down like it was a a nice soft sheet and they were going to sleep <laughs> <laughs> now they're incapacitated <laughs> now i remember watching this the reruns of this show on like usa or something back in the 90s because you know there was a there was a brief resurgence of superhero stuff in the 90s so you know they were capitalizing on that they replayed the hulk and the this spider-man show so i that's that was my first exposure to this and I do remember that in some of the later episodes of the show, they would have um, the we- <laughs> the webbing was basically acting like a whip when you would shoot it. Really? So you you would see it shoot out. I mean, it was still that reverse photography trick that they did in here, but it was a little more obvious because you would see it, you know, shoot from his hand, and then it would wrap around like a beam or a pole. Like it was like a whip, you know, like the way Indiana Jones would whip on something. It would just kind of like wrap around three or four times and then it becomes solid. (laughs) The same thing with certain people. Like if he would web somebody, you know, they would stand perfectly still. And then you would see the the webbing just kind of like wrap around their, you know, torso in that that awkward, you know, reverse photography way that is just so obvious. Right. 
And then the next scene would be them like, oh, you got me, Spider-Man, or whatever. You know, like the villains were very 1940s inspired, I noticed. <laughs> Especially the thugs in this movie. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, and the, still talking about the webbing, when he's the, – the little bit that they show of him making the web shooter – he it has it's the little cartridge that he has on the wristband that he he takes one off because suppose you know I'm I'm guessing that it it's emptied and he puts another one on. However, it doesn't connect to anything. Like <laughs> there's a there's a obviously a little spout that comes out that's supposed to shoot the webbing, but how is it? It's not connecting. Like there's no it's it's literally velcroed on so. There's nothing to make whatever's in that box, which I assume is the web fluid, connect to the spout that's supposed to be shooting out the webbing. Yeah, I did notice that too. I was like, wait, how does that work? That's, <laughs> is there like some kind of con- like inductive osmosis there or something? <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> and I think later on in the series, he has the much bigger, blockier type of web shooters where it looks like... Uh, um. You know, well, it's much more obvious, and it's outside of the suit. But in this one, yeah, it's like they're really just kind of like it's a comic book thing. Who cares? Right, exactly. It's more like uh, you know, we don't need to explain anything or make anything look real because it's a comic book. So you know, what what difference does it make? And you're right. Uh, I guess this is uh, uh, it. This is one of the first times that you get to see the. Later on in the series, when they make it so that his belt is on the outside of his suit and his uh, uh, web web shooter is on the outside of the suit, it's very much the way that like uh, the Scarlet Spider that's created later in the comic book looks. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was you know in, influence when they made the Scarlet Spider or not, but good on them. I'm sure it's all cyclical. They're like, what haven't we done in a while? Let's look through the archives. (laughs) Now, if you think this is bad, though, I highly recommend YouTubing the Japanese Spider-Man adaptation that happened around the same time. So that was around the same time? I believe so, yes. Um, Might have been a little bit later, but it is is so wacky – that it becomes entertaining in just like a completely different way. Just like alternate universe Spider-Man where he drives a motorcycle and can uh, become giant size to fight Godzilla-like creatures. It, it, it gets really gnarly. Oh, that's right. That's where the, the um, was it Sue, Pider, Sue Spider-Man or whatever, the, the big fucking uh, Robotech or whatever, what, you, what are those called? Uh, Gundam or... No, one of those things comes from, right? Mechas. Mechas, thank you. Yeah. Or mechs. Yes. Yeah, that's basically where it comes from, where he has, like, all this... He has, like, a helicopter, I think, as well. <laughs> like, he's basically Batman. Like, <laughs> 1960s Batman in this in their, in their world. Uh, I, I could see it. It's the, the, they decided just to combine the two and make it, make it one. <laughs> What's funny about that is I remember having toys as a kid that were Spider-Man branded. But it was like a car that looked like it belonged more in He-Man, you know, where it had like six wheels and like guns on it. I'm like, okay, well, this has Spider-Man on it, but where is this from? <laughs> what does this I think have to it do with actually, Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, I think there were adaptations. I, I remember having the Spider-Man stunt cycle that 
uh, came with a special thing so it could simulate wall crawling, but really all it was, it just spun inside of a sphere. Yeah. <laughs> Com- completely tangential to this, now that it, that brought up a flashback of a memory of mine. I remember going to the circus in Mexico as a kid, and this must have been like 86 or 87. Um, and so one of the big draws of this particular circus was that they had Spider-Man there. Okay. And, uh, a a little thing about Mexican culture, circuses are kind of a big deal and they always try to bring out whatever celebrity or famous thing is currently going on. Okay. So yeah, this, in this particular time period, it was Spider-Man was big. So I remember being super excited as a kid. We're going to go see Spider-Man. I probably still have a picture of it somewhere. And so Spider-Man was a dude wearing what I must have been a homemade Spider-Man costume. And his power was doing that thing where you get on a motorcycle inside of a ball and kind of spin around upside down a few times. Uh, uh. That was his wall crawling. <laughs> and I remember leaving that so disappointed. And I mean, if you want to know what it felt like, just rewatch the scene in A Christmas Story when he realizes that the code word was Ovaltine or whatever it was. <laughs> Drink more Ovaltine. Yes. That was my, my experience with this. It's like, this is a sham. <laughs> I, think, I could just I see. Think that was, that little... was the year I stopped believing in like Santa Claus. Or <laughs> oh, just all the innocence just left little John's face and body. Just like, man, the world is a pack of lies. <laughs> That's why I'm dead on the inside to this day. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I think we've talked enough about it. The this is this Spider-Man movie, you know, was the shit in 1977. But <laughs> I don't think I can I, I could watch this again. Uh, but if you if anybody out there that wants to the you know you can watch it on YouTube. That's where we watched it. There's another one that's the next two episodes. It's called Spider-Man Strikes Back, and it's all about him in college trying to stop a nuke from going off or something like that. And, uh, you know, there's there's more out there you can watch. But I, I don't think I could do it. Uh, now, I did want to bring up one last thing. I just realized that we hadn't even touched up on it. Um, his spider sense. Mm-hmm. Um... So it's not just him being able to perceive incoming danger. It actually gives him like some kind of precognition or like far-seeing where he can actually get a glimpse of something before it happens. Like full-on like, oh, this guy's driving around the corner. You better watch out because he might hit you. <laughs> so he turns around and sure enough, that same car he just saw in a vision turns around the corner and comes after him. <laughs> So he he slightly becomes a little bit psychic. There you go. That's true. You know, it's it's uh, even in the the Sam Raimi the first Sam Raimi movie, she says it, it borderlines on precognition, but this one decided to go ahead and just make it precognition. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, nope, this is exactly what's about to happen. <laughs> uh, all right, John. Next week we're going to be talking about a new modern day classic. That you know definitely should have been kept in the MCU. Uh, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, with starring David Hasselhoff, the Hoff. 
the Hoffmeister. <laughs> uh, now, be- because David Hasselhoff starred in my favorite TV show from the 80s, Knight Rider. Okay. Pretty much anything he does after that, I gave him a pass. I was like, you get a lifetime pass. Now, Nick Fury came close to revoking that. <laughs> so you have seen this before? Yes, I saw it when it premiered on Fox, I believe, or NBC um, originally. And oh, really? I thought, uh, I thought it was a sci-fi thing. Uh, no, it was uh, it was definitely one of the major broadcasters, and the only reason I know that is because, uh, as a kid, I only had like the three channels you can get with the rabbit ear antenna. Ah, and I saw it on one of those channels. So I I, I want to say it was NBC or Fox, probably NBC. We'll find out next week when we when we talk about it. I have never seen this movie, and I've only heard about it. So. Uh, it's going to be an experience for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're in for a treat. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, this ain't. <laughs> well, there you go. That is uh, what we had to talk about this week and what we have to look forward to for next week. So uh, I hope other people can uh, watch it and, and also put in their two cents and we'll talk about it as a as a big group. Um, but other than that, uh, I don't have anything else to say for this week. John, are you good? Yeah, um, psyching myself up for the next thing we have to slog through. <laughs> well, hopefully the 90s decided they were going to put in some more action beats instead of uh, just dialogue after dialogue. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's let's stay with that. Okay. Uh, but uh, you can reach me on Twitter at agent underscore of the underscore bat. John, you can also be reached at Twitter as... I am at Magic Bollocks. Uh, and you can get Geek Elite Radio at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. You can do most of our conversation over on Facebook, so check us out at facebook.com backslash, uh, not backslash Facebook, that, that's ridiculous. Backslash Geek, Geek Elite Radio. Uh, most of our conversation happens there, and uh, be part of the community. You know, Put in your two cents, see what everybody else is talking about. And then go to our website, geekeliteradio.com, check out our archive podcast, or archive episodes of this podcast and other podcasts in the Geekly Radio Network. Um, but until next week, this has been the Geeks Watch saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.